We who are about to die salute you. How's it going, everybody? It's Chris and Chris with Murituri Monday, episode 13, otherwise known as season two, episode two. And uh, hey, we made it two weeks in a row. How about that? We didn't do too bad. You know what I'm really disappointed in, though, Chris? I'm disappointed with the start of our show. Hmm. You know why? You didn't play the MASH thing like you said you were last episode. I know, I know. And people, I, need, I, a, people need a taste of how that, <laughs> that epic <laughs> song would have introduced this moratory show. And I, now... I will, <laughs> I will put it on the end of this episode. <laughs> I, I actually... I, I exported it out last week, and as it's exporting, I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot to put that in there. And then I check, and I already I already dumped the raw audio, and I'm like, oh, man, I gotta, I'll gotta, i either have to like try to stitch the music out that I put in and put the mash front on top of it, or eh, we'll just do it next time. So this week, oh, great. we will have the mash theme as our outro music here. So uh, no uh, no weird song from Rent that, uh, that nobody's guessed. <laughs> why we used I, I, I there's a very very important reason why we use that song and nobody's guessed so yeah, I, uh, I, I i don't know what the point is what what is the reason okay uh, well, well you know, if you're familiar with the song it's counting down the minutes seconds of a year you know five oh. that, 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 uh, of a year so these morituri here in case you guys don't know once they undergo the process, they might mention this once or twice an episode <laughs> or an issue. Uh, they are doomed to die within one year. So, uh, so that I, is I'm, the significance of the Rent song. I am finding that out along with our faithful listeners. <laughs> and it took me to episode two, season two, to understand. I just thought it was just a very nice, relaxing, mellow outro. But now it's a multitasker. It's a multitasker. So uh, there is that. Um, now, before we get into our regular stuff here, I, I do want to thank everyone for the very warm reception to our return. Um, we know we kept you guys hanging for several months, and uh, the reception we got from coming back was uh, was more than we could have hoped for. It was uh, very nice. Uh, everybody was very happy to hear from us again, and it uh, feels like we picked up right where we left off. So that was uh, wonderful, and uh, we thank you all so, so much for that Uh uh, sometimes, uh, you know, if we disappear for a bit, it's like we come back and then we just start clogging people's, uh, you know, pod podcast queues. And they're just like, oh, these guys are back. What they, who, who do they think they are? They had, a, my, they had a break, but we brought it back, brother. We did indeed. I, I do have to say, I would like to say one thing about the reception as well. You know, Certainly. just to just to know that people, uh, you know, really, really appreciate us coming back. And we really appreciated all the comments as well. So to Certainly. all the folks out there, the Jody Yardens and the Green Lantern and everybody else who's out there who uh, who left us a comment. Joe thank Cabrera, you, number yeah. one. Yeah, Joe Cabrera. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know, we really, really, really appreciate you guys listening every single week. So thank you yeah. for that. And boy, we have a good time recording this. And I wish you heard the first two minutes of this show. <laughs> 
because uh, maybe maybe one day Chris will will drag that out of the archives. But, Probably uh, not. <laughs> for, but, uh, fair enough. <laughs> now, before we before we go into our uh, our recruit update here, you, my friend, you made an error last week. Oh. I, I remember I, I, I saw you you actually filmed yourself beating yourself upon the back with a Captain Lou Albano LJN action figure because it's the heaviest one. And I was wondering why you were punishing yourself so badly. And you said that you made an error that you just can't live with. And I wanted to offer you this platform as an opportunity to apologize to our listeners. I accidentally said during our new universe discussion that Mark Grunewald was over kickers. Mark Grunewald had nothing to do with kickers whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was actually DP7. Yes. It was Mr. Tom DeFalco who was actually over on kickers. So my apologies you know, to all those New Universe folks out there who uh, who were hanging off my every word and was like, this guy doesn't know anything, god damn it. <laughs> and and of course to Tom DeFalco we wouldn't want we wouldn't want anyone else to uh, to get the credit for that no, so no no Tom no Tom we really need to make sure you get credit for Kickers Inc man <laughs> we re- you really need to live that shirt every day brother <laughs> so so yes that is our that's our corrections department <laughs> and, uh, I suppose now we can uh, we can go right into our uh, recruit update. Oh, yes, why not? So let's dive right into the middle of it. So last week, we actually saw the very demise of Flash Forward, who exploded into a a, a capsule and got kicked out the side door while our other recruits uh, were escaping the horde. So And also, Lockshot, who we thought was dead, actually survived. So two of them are barreling down the road, but we're going to catch up with our other teams. So we're going to catch up with the Red Watch and our other displaced recruits in a parallel universe. Um, we have recruits Dreamscape, Splinter Red, and Med, all of which are surrounded by a seemingly fully deceased members of the original Black Watch and future versions of Strike Force leader Harold Everson. Hmm. Mm. So if you if you didn't know that we had three guys who jumped to a parallel universe to escape the horde, and they met up with the original Black Watch and a seemingly very much alive viking slash harold everson so we really haven't got to the bottom of it but i guarantee you today you'll get the gist anyway days have passed now all men are healed up from their battle wounds with the horde med is actually in a private meeting and has been debriefed by harold on happenings on this earth this 1987 earth and uh you know with the with the hq attack and their subsequent subsequent escape to this reality uh you know he's sort of getting the coles notes version of what this is all about Harold notes that there are things about the process that not everyone understands yet, but mentions that this sort of afterlife universe is sort of, it's called time point. It is very much real and very much something that process creators have no idea that actually exists. So Mm -hmm. they're sort of off the grid. So they're sort of, you know, just sort of hanging loose on another, another parallel universe, but know what's happening in the real world. Now, Med, he's fascinated by all these reveals as Harold assures him everything's going to be okay and that all his friends are safe. Boy, he's wrong on that, by the way. (laughs) Anyway, Harold notes he must, uh, you know, he must use these new recruits to find Dr. Tolima back on Earth 87. So, you know, um, and use Dreamscape's powers to allow, you know, the Red Watch the ability to cross back over to the real world and liberate the headquarters from the Horde. And give Mr. Do- Mr. Tolima, you know, all this information about the uh, the parallel universe. 
that they know was essential to perfecting the moratory process. So they've got a mission in mind. They're going to bounce back to real time, and they're actually going to intervene and help Tulima hopefully get to the bottom of this horde problem and potentially perfecting the moratory process so nobody else dies. Mm-hmm. Now, both men return to the main compound, and they inform their team as they prepare that, that they are – as they're preparing the universe jump, that they are hitting the horde in a direction they don't expect. So this is going to be like the ultimate drop bomb. Now, Med pulls Dreamscape aside, and he tells him of the plan. And Scape nods in full agreement, but notes that he really doesn't trust Splinter Red as of right now. Hmm. Hmm. As the team makes preparations, Dreamscape opens up the portal back home. This time, um, a whole new moratory. Watch... uh, you know, watch the combat as the uh, he basically they're looking through a window and they see that, you know, they're still in battle with the alien hordes. So Splinter Red, God bless him, decides he's going to stay back and monitor things from afar in the control center. God bless him. You know, you guys go ahead. I'm just going to hang out here at the monitors. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Real team player, this Splinter Red. But anyway, the team who seem to know him despite just meeting him. Uh, simply accept that, yeah, you know, this is great. No problem, man. You hang tight. You know, watch us. You know, watch us, uh, you know, take liberate the uh, moratory headquarters. So anyway, which makes Med more suspicious, and he mentioned it to Dreamscape as they make their descent back to Earth-87. Now, upon their arrival, Talima's armed security guards stop the new arrivals dead in their tracks. The doctor is stunned because this is the first time he's seen Harold and his Black Watch members alive so he rushes to greet them and he's completely blown away he says harold everson what in god's name and he orders the guards to lower the weapons as he's approached by med who slows talima's approach informing of their new discovery this new parallel universe now future harold is flanked by his two black watch recruits and smiles to his old mentor mr talima and he turns to dreamscape nodding suddenly dream uh Dreamscape shoots Dr. Tolima dead. Ooh. Med turns to his friend in horror, and suddenly the Red Watcher's attention is now turned to Med, who is now surrounded by people he thought he knew at gunpoint. Harold coldly turns to his teams, speaking suddenly alien into an earpiece. And it's deciphered as, we have infiltrated the facility, and we are locating the star brand now. Oh, boy. There I think you go. It, it, it might be in Pittsburgh. It may be in Pittsburgh. <laughs> but shit just got real, folks. That's a fact, Jack. Yeah, this is a uh, it's heating up more and more every week. I, I look forward to this as much as I look forward to reading the story. So this is <laughs> it's always a fun time. <laughs> I try. I try. But now we are here for a double sized, double priced, huge, huge. 13th issue. It's Strike Force Moratory. It is very, very huge. <laughs> and uh, it is Strike Force Moratory number 13, cover dated December 1987. The story has a very nice title. It's Johnny, We Hardly Knew Ye. Which uh, I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool. Uh, yep. Written by Peter B. Gillis, pencils Brent Anderson, inks Scott Williams, letters Phil Felix, colors by the newlywed Max Scheel. Uh, edits Carl Potts, editor in chief Jim Sh- uh, Tom the DeFalco, kick, the Kickers <clears throat> Inc. guy, the Kickers Inc. guy, the guy who's responsible for Kickers Inc. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> him, him. Uh, a cover price, a whopping one dollar twenty-five USD. 
$1.50 Canadian, 40p UK. This one hit shelves on August 25th, 1987. Now, as mentioned, our cover informs us that we're in for a double-sized issue pitting Morituri versus Morituri. And uh, we can see here many of our familiar faces are uh, squared off with perhaps new Morituris. Now, it's a... It's a, it's an interesting and nice little dog pile scene, but as a cover, it's still kind of not great. Yeah, um, I, I know what you mean. Like, there's there's a lot going on there, but uh, number one, I think half of the excitement is that if you're reading this book sequentially, you have no idea who half of this page is. So yeah. <laughs> right now it's a bunch of randos, but uh, boy, we'll get introduced to these uh, douchebags very soon. <laughs> We sure will. Um, now, the bottom uh, little where the UPC symbol usually goes, we're uh, told that there are two additional features in this comic book to, you know, buff it out to the double-sized uh, uh, page uh, page count. We have uh, a few pages out of the official handbook of the Murituri universe, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like, and a primer on how Peter B. Gillis and Brent Anderson make and destroy Strikeforce Murituri. I think that's a really good look in the window of how this book was made, too. And when you really take a look and step back at some of the characters, storylines, and all that stuff, as we'll find out a little bit later, maybe there's really <laughs> some actual truth to some of this. There but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Anyway, issue 13 begins with an unbelievable uh, Brent Anderson splash page. And I, I mention every single time, he's just got one page that is just like perfect art that you'd want like an original if you're grabbing a piece of original art this splash page would definitely be uh issue 13s it's basically a picture of a depth and she's off on her own and she's sort of celestial you know what i mean you see planets through her and she's sort of um sort of in her own orbit and processing and analyzing things with these giant hands and almost like ghost-like really in form and there's a hordian craft speeding underneath with our heroes aboard now, our moratory, Ruth and uh, Aileen, ponder how long it's going to be. How will it, how long will it take to get back to Earth after last year's destructive trip to space? And boy, did some stuff happen last issue. We lost our boy, Robert. Mm-hmm, which uh, sure did. And boy, did he take a few people with him, though, Sheehan. <laughs> I got to say. But they agree that they need to get there soon for Jaylene's sake. Now, Jaylene, she ain't doing very well after that no. last uh, our last fall from uh from space here so they're orbiting towards earth hoping to get there quick enough to save jaylene as well and it's weird because last issue wasn't it wasn't entirely made clear that jaylene even made it on the ship no you know uh, it looked like she was still in the trophy room analyzing it didn't look like she made it on the ship to to see to open this issue and see that she's actually with the rest of the team was kind of shocking to me i didn't uh i thought that was going to be kind of the uh uh, kind of the the trauma of this was losing both members in that blast, but uh, Jaylene somehow made it, so uh, they are trying to get back to make sure she can survive here. Now, Aileen and Ruth, uh, they're seen huddled around Jaylene's bed. She is deep in analyzation mode here. She's kind of even like in a trance-like state, uh, analyzing. Now, all the information uh, she took in is uh, she's dictating out randomly. Now, while the crew, who include the annoying as hell Eversons, uh, they're dealing with zero gravity, uh, Pilar rushes into the room with recording uh, crystals in order to capture Jaylene's potential last words, because uh, it seems Jaylene is in the act of dying right now. She it's, is... inter- it's interesting when uh, when Pilar <laughs> rushes in. So you say she came to the room with recording crystals. Mm-hmm. So liter- literally it's that. It's like yeah. crystals that record audio it's it's mm-hmm. like a 
Forget your CDs and audio tapes, folks, or your, MP- <laughs> your MP3s. We got crystals in the future, so we just got to see that. Pretty cool. This is Fortress of Solitude stuff here, and uh, uh, Pilar realizes that she may have spilled the beans just a hair too early uh, to Aileen about her dear friend who she becomes overcome with grief. Uh, she got the realization that her friend Robert passed away, and it, it's just really, really a rough, a rough scene here. Uh, Jaylene breaks her incantation long enough to console her friend. She says, don't cry. He's very close. Come to take me home. My true life is about to begin. Remember, she is uh, she is religious and uh, she uh, does believe that after death, there is something much better waiting for her. I got to listen, I, I I do really admire people of strong faith. I, I do Absolutely. have to say some Absolutely. sometimes they're, you know, they're annoying. And sometimes we cast people aside for their different beliefs or whatever, because, you know, what we believe generally is what we believe to be right. And, you know, sometimes we we look past others beliefs. But adept here really, really, you know, turns Christianity into something that's admired here, in my opinion. I, I really, res- really respect her beliefs and she brought it to the team. And it really, uh, you know, it, it's really a good focus for the team. It helped Robert focus himself until he became like a lunatic madman bent on, yeah. you know, Actually killing every single member of the killing. court. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. But anyway, her faith <laughs> is so strong. She ain't afraid to die. You know, she actually welcomes it. She knows that all her friends are going to join her, you know, one day, you know, maybe even a little less than a year. Who knows? But anyway, true. <laughs> um, because this powerful scene, you know, of two friends, we've only known these folks 12 issues, but they're already like family, man. And it just true. speaks to the, and I say this every single show. It just speaks to the strength of these characters. Like mm-hmm. they're just they're, they're, you're rooting for them as a reader. I, I root for this team every single time. You know, I, I want I want them to survive. I want them to do well. And Aileen who's really grown on me, clutches her friend's hands just minutes before she passed away, uh, before, you know, spilling all the Hordian secrets. Anderson just, I mean, just captures Aileen's sadness. Oh, my God. This guy really, really emotes. Like, you talk about Brent Anderson's work. His work Mm -hmm. on how he, just a human face, just the, you know, a slight... How he does eyes and how he does tears, it's just, it's legit, man. It made me feel oh, really emotional. Like, when I was looking at it, I'm like, yeah, man, like, I'm, I'm feeling this. Man, now, meanwhile, on another deck of the ship, people that we don't really care much about, <laughs> our, good, <laughs> our good friend, the douche, William <laughs> William Gucci And Toxin, they struggle with ship. Now, I do like Toxin, so I'm, I'm not going to tar yeah. her with the same brush. Um, but they're fooling with the ship's gravity drive as Gucci fumbles about, and he's messing with wires and plugs, and everything's going everywhere. And they are joined by good old Louie, who may have caused all this stuff inadvertently. <laughs> Oh, poor Radian. He's one of the last standing original members, Mr. Louis Arminetti. So, uh, you know, Louis up to this point, just to fill our faithful listeners in, has been making a deal with an alien horde to give up key information to get cure to end the moratory process. So basically to make sure that they don't die after a year. So he signed his, you know, he signed on the dotted line in blood and even mm-hmm. sold out his friends. Now, he's tried memory <laughs> several times. To you know, to give up this information to his friends, but they they trust him and they just don't care for whatever reason. I don't know why. He's like, no, I did this. You know, I I, I really uh you know I, I betrayed you guys. And they're like, ah, oh, Louis, we know that you you know we you sent us to the horde so we can wipe him out. So he's just giving up. So he's you know he's dealing with it quite well. <laughs> um, 
They deal, of course, when he went to the um, when he went south with his team and caught on to his ploy. Louis came up with this phony excuse. He was trying to fool the aliens into giving them their location, uh, you know, of their treasure ship, so Jaylene could analyze their secrets. That's how he put it. But you know, obviously, that was not the case. No. Ruth, aka Toxin, buys this story hook, line, and sinker. So <laughs> nobody, you know, nobody's really. Even though Louis is trying his best to tell him, no, I'm not a good guy. You know, I sold you down the river. They just want to believe that he is a good guy. So they're yeah. they're giving him this pass, even though two people, you know, one is dead and one is on the bed, you know, partially dead. You know, thank thank you, Louis. Good for you. Good job. <laughs> and he's while he's team, doing more damage than the horde. <laughs> yes, man. He's wiping his own team out, you know. <laughs> And they've seemingly forgiving Raiden for, you know, his insider trading deal, we'll call it, and yeah. discusses, you know, and they now discuss, the, you know, the situation where they disobeyed orders because of Louis's plan. Ruth explains to Louis that had they got, you know, that they had gone secretly to talk to his enemy, which accounts for, you know, all of them getting not only jailed, but killed by the Padilla for being traitors when they get back to Earth. So they're yeah. in some trouble, man. Mm-hmm. Even though if they manage to get home. They got some people waiting for them to, you know, put some locks on them. So it's not it's not looking good for our moratory. So Ruth ponders for a moment, you know, or about not returning home. And since they have this ship, they can just maybe keep on going. I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's take a let's take a left turn at Albuquerque and keep on sure. going. Man. But anyway, uh, Aileen and the others, you know, they join Will, Louie and Ruth on the deck and they inform the others that Jaylen has passed. That's mm-hmm. right. She actually died. Yep. Believe, believe it or not. But never fret. They actually recorded her Hordian ramblings on these crystals. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the <laughs> thing it is. They they take this very well. I, I don't know. I don't I don't know about you, but we we were recording guys. Speaking of recordings, I know they're talking about crystal recordings, but we sure. were you ever a music downloader back in the day? You know what's funny? Um, I was always and and remain like petrified of doing that. Because I, <laughs> I, I know like the uh, we had things like what like Napster and uh, and LimeWire and oh, Lime all Wire. those uh, all those uh, you know P to P things and always scared me. Uh, I, I know people have done it and they've gotten like emails from like very threatening emails and i'm like i would just crap my pants <laughs> it's it's not worth having that extra billy joel song you know <laughs> it's, it's, so so back so back in the day first when napster first came out okay i mean you know it was it was fairly there was no real legalities around it at first you know it was what I mean? before people, that was all yeah set up you yeah know? and of course then metallic and a whole bunch of other people got on the bandwagon and drove it into the ground and it became sure. this whole copyright thing but anyway previous to that I got myself a CD burner. Now, I had this guy who worked at a, uh, you know, he worked at a movie theater. And every time I would go down, and he reminded me of one of the guys off the Big Bang Theory, the guy with the lisp who hates Sheldon. Mm. So every time I would go to the theater, he'd say, so, Quith, you got a, you got your CD burner for your computer? And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, no, no, Dennis, I don't. Anyway, he kept taunting me and telling me how to get one. So finally, I just broke down and got one. And boy, was it a revelation. I was making my own CDs instead of like Chris's Driving Tunes, Volume 10 on audio. All of a sudden, <laughs> now I had them on CD and I was making collections. So I was sort of the big man on campus in my family. So my brother would come down and he'd want a CD burn because, you know, he could do it. And uh, anyway... I just went and got a CD DVD recorder, and man, I was king of the blanking hill, brother. I guarantee you. 
But you talk about LimeWire. LimeWire was nothing but a virus trap. I can tell you mm-hmm. uh, how many times that I walked down in front of my computer and all of a sudden there was like adult friend finder on the screen oh, because I Lord. downloaded a virus <laughs> or something. And it was to the point where I was downloading all this stuff on like uh, dial-up. So I would literally sure. have to like, Set twelve songs, yeah. yeah, twelve songs to download, and then come down and in in the morning it'd be like, hey, look, I uh, still only have one song left, twenty minutes left to download. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Anyway, everybody seems to be taking uh, Adept's death a little, almost too well. You know, they get a simple, oh, that. It's like an afterthought. Girl. Yeah. Yes, that poor. I mean, even the Eversons are like, oh, that poor girl. You know. They've done nothing but complain ever since we met the whole them. time. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe Harold was right. Maybe he got the whole fresh prince. Maybe parents just don't understand. I don't know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, anyway, the gang's conversation is interrupted abruptly when the douche, he sees the earth before them and notes that Canada appears to be on fire. Canada is on fire. What? Can, your Canadian <laughs> brothers, my home country is on fire. Burning. Mm-hmm. Burning. But anyway. <laughs> It is now to the, it's now up to the team seeing the horrific aftermath of the horde nuke attack on Moratory HQ. So they're only now seeing what everybody was uh, experiencing while they were up in space. The horde took advantage and they nuked the place. So they crazy sure time. Did. Yeah. Now speaking of Earth, we hop back there and we meet a balding fellow who looks like a perhaps Chris Hansen should offer him a seat. You know, <laughs> uh, put it that way. Yes. Now. Sir. <laughs> He is hunched over a communication device, and he gets word that Beth Neon, you know, our faithful military commander, she passed away. And this is another weird afterthought sort of thing here, where we didn't get to see it happen, which kind of feels like we're being robbed in a way. <clears throat> Boy, this this guy looks creepy, man. He uh, let let, let me put let me put it this way: if you have children, you're not letting them anywhere close to this man. No, 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 and. Uh, he probably, you know, he, he's probably driving around in one of those like big brown cars, you know, the ones <laughs> that your parents told you to stay away from. He's the one in those cars, so definitely don't go near him. Ugh. Now, you see, as an act of love for her man, our former rogue clone, Commander Beth, she took the life-ending Moritori process, which gave her the amazing, amazing and uncanny powers to uh, make plants bloom. Um, <laughs> Well done. And she, and she has finally succumbed to the process. Now we need a new commander, and uh, old Pedo Pete here is the perfect candidate. Uh, once he receives word of his new post, he walks into a common area, which is populated by another brand spanking new set of Murray Turry recruits. This is Generation 3. Oh, my and, God. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but it's like, I think we were just getting used to the latest group. You know, we have Scaddy Cat Toxin and Scatterbrain, which, which which was like a jarring shock to have these new characters here. And now there's a half dozen more. Oh, my God. It they, is. They're, they're, they're not giving us any time to absorb here. Like, we're we're getting bombarded. They're stealing our moratory members and just filling them in. With, with real cruddy ones here. <laughs> <laughs> now, we find out that this new commander, his name is not pedophile pete it's not um we'll still probably call him that but his name is actually yuri pogorlik pogorlik pogorlich sounds very russian <clears throat> it like does yak, like very yakov smirnov 1980 type of stuff going on here 
I love this country. <laughs> I, I think I think old Yuri here was like a uh, like a reject from the Rocket Reds or something. But uh, right. we'll probably just call him Yuri because uh, I don't know that I even said that. I, I know I didn't say his last name right, and I know I will never <laughs> say his last name right. So Yuri, which I think I might be saying right, will be less offensive to everyone. Um, now one by one we meet the new recruits and. Ugh. Mm. Yes. Now, we had a an instant distaste for Will Deguchi. Deguchi, however we say his name. <laughs> These guys are even worse than that. Um, first up, Hard Case, and and not the one from the Ultraverse. I was just gonna say, haven't <clears throat> that sounds familiar? <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, Hard Case had the cover where he's like throwing something heavy at the reader and says, "Catch." Oh, it's so lame. <laughs> it is. It is rotten. That the the Ultraverse. That is one of the most jarring covers. If you've seen Hard Case Number One for Ultraverse, it is the most awkwardly posed first it, first issue cover of any character I've seen. Oh, and oh, it's really bad. But anyway. and it was written. It was written by Peter Gillis's successor on this very book. Ah, oh. so, so it you all know, comes back. You know, the only thing that's worse than the Ultraverse Hard Case. Hmm. <laughs> the Strike Force Moratory hard case. That's <laughs> true. Now, notably here, he he is with the style here of 1988. He has the very the very thin porn mustache, you know, <laughs> uh, just like half the team members from what it seems like. Are they um, stock? Are they stockpiling porn stars here? Is this was happening? They might be. They might be. They, they, this was for the uh, the triple X version of the uh, the moratory soap opera that they're making. <laughs> this was for the porno parody of that. This this guy was going to play Will DeGucci because he looks just like him. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what's it going to be called? Stunt cock moratory. I don't know. <laughs> don't Google that, friends. Don't Google that. But uh, we would like fan art. <laughs> <laughs> no we wouldn't um now he's got a clean cut appearance and he dresses in almost like a military ceremony cadet uniform here like a like a dressed up like marine colors you know yeah, exactly um, what his powers going back to the uh the joke we just made here he makes soft things hard <laughs> so yes he could be in that uh that uh that uh that that parody uh film i i, uh, I wish we were i wish we were joking but we're not we're not joking. We're not joking. Uh, he fortifies molecular bonds, making things, quote, ultra hard. Now, <laughs> I, th I think there's a market for that. In 2020, yes, he could make, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of our uh, fellow podcasts like to shill for uh, something called Blue Chew. And uh, <laughs> we, we would like to shill for Hard Case. Uh, <laughs> well, Chris, you know, when I when I wake up in the morning and I come down over the stairs and I see my wife and I get my coffee and I just pop a Blue Chew. <laughs> Thanks, and, uh, <laughs> anyway, keep going. <laughs> he's shown using his powers. Uh, he's he's folding a paper plane, makes it super hard, and he throws it at a tree, and it goes right through it. Um, now this clown, he claims that he joined the team for duty and honor. Ooh, look, look at you, up. big man. Yeah, <clears throat> hate this guy already. Now. Next up is a fellow named Sheer, or he goes by the name Sheer. He's a German-born Turkish factory worker turned Murray Turi. His real name is Walter Vazio, Vazio Glue. Vazio Glue? I don't know. Uh, he, he, looks, 
He, he looks kind of like, if you're familiar with professional wrestling, he looks a lot like uh, Seth Rollins in the uh, in the face. Uh, Seth could play him in a movie if he uh, if he maybe went off the CrossFit and uh, maybe started eating more carbs. Um, <laughs> well now, now, his powers are to be able to find an object, uh, an object's structural weakness and then cut it up from a meter away. A.K.A. Mow the lawn. literally mowing the lawn this is like this is like one of those dagwood sandwich powers here it's like (laughs) it's like you'd figure like he could work in tandem with another person who can cut it up like he can spot it and then someone else can cut it but he does both (laughs) yes i do have to say being uh it's not the strangest power we're going to run in here today but it's It's probably one of the most useless it's true (laughs) god Anyway, anyway, third we meet Brava. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, a very jacked up female, and her name yes. is how would you pronounce this? Domin- Dominica Contreras. Dominica, Dominica Contreras. Yes. Contreras. There you go. You gotta have the twang. <laughs> roll Contreras. Yes. A former worker in an observatory in Peru. Of course, you know those mm-hmm. famous observatories in Peru. <laughs> in Peru. You hear about them all the time. Yeah. yeah absolutely. You know. <laughs> Special moratory was because, well, you know, <laughs> observing is hard, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Just look at the watcher. He can't do it. <laughs> well done. Uh, her power is that she grows exponentially and she grows. And as she grows, her strength multiplies, you know, exponentially with her. So sure. <laughs> she gets bigger. She gets stronger. That's basically what happens here. Mm-hmm. Now, to picture her, she's a long raven haired lady she's got like a blue bodysuit with armored shoulder guards she has a belt with pouches i mean this girl would fit perfectly in a rob liefeld comic or, or something from larson back in the 80s man she, she's like, gotta be in brigade or something oh man like yeah. tailor made i'm <laughs> sure you know what i'm sure rob liefeld had seen her and he's probably got 500 of these characters in his books that's where he got it that's the start right here <laughs> yeah will showed it to him yeah yeah <laughs> Rob goes, hey, pouches. <laughs> That's the Shoulder genesis. Mm-hmm. Anyway, where she's really strong, see, she lifts her two teammates overhead to showcase her strength because, you know, she's super strong, you know. <laughs> well, basically, yeah. basically, when you look at this, they're removing characters, so they're killing people off. So she's basically Robert's replacement. She's she's female Robert. Robert. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. That's it. Um, Who else we got, Sheehan? We got... We got a familiar face here. Ooh. We got, uh, if if you've been following along, you might, though I wouldn't blame you if you didn't, you might remember Greg Mattingly. Mm-hmm. Now, Greg Mattingly, he was the fellow who signed on to play Harold Everson, Viking, in the soap opera or the hollow vid or whatever the they called vid. it. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so we have someone who was just so driven <laughs> by Harold Everson that he became basically Harold Everson. Um, now, his powers match Viking's old power set in that he could divert and reflect any powers thrown at him. However, he seemingly has more accuracy than his inspiration, Harold. Commander Yuri tests his powers by actually opening fire, blasting him up close with a <laughs> laser cannon. And, and sure enough, Mattingly has mastered his powers enough, and he redirects the blast against a wall. And uh, this uh, blast spells his new codename, which is backhand it's spelled oh. in flame 
this this has like there's definitely some inside humor going on here. They're they're absolutely they're they're definitely playing games with us here. When yeah. you say someone's name is backhand, oh there there's something to that, man. <laughs> we have backhand and hard case here, which uh I hope they don't work together. Um <laughs> Now, impressive talent here. You know, uh, we figure this fella could probably have a career as a skywriter when he's done with his gig. <laughs> After his contract's up. Uh, and I think he only signed on for a year. But uh, oh, oh, too bad. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, next up is uh, <laughs> good old Commander Yuri, a.k.a. Pedo Pete. He's going to introduce us to yet another Ooh. complicated name. Yeah, I'm um, glad you're saying this and not me. OK, I'm going to give it a trot. Ready? OK. <laughs> Ayaka Bandaranaiki. Bandaranaiki. I don't know. Good enough. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Anyway. Ayaka is her name, I guess. So that's what we'll call her. Anyway, Ayaka. she's yeah. Ayaka. Puyaka. Ayaka Yaka. <laughs> Six one nine. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. She's the team's African princess. And she's literally codenamed Silencer. Now that's a bit of a weird name for a girl considering her look. I mean, she's literally a if you look at her, she's like uh, how would I describe it? Just like typical African garb. You know, mm-hmm. she's got the um you know, she just basically looks take a take a look at uh, you know, any anything African related. She wears the traditional garb. She's a yeah. uh, Afri- African American skinned. You know, she she definitely has that entire vibe going on. Absolutely. So so which is weird that she's called Silencer. That's not the first thing you would think of when you're doing a character like this. But guess what her powers are now? Hmm. I'm going to formally apologize to Adept, which had, on episode one <laughs> of this whole series, I said that she had the worst powers of all time, having analyzation powers. Well, we finally have one that is probably the worst power set in the history. a new contender. Here it is. <laughs> and our champion, um, <laughs> the Silencer, can actually damp out... Any sound in a specified area. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. <clears throat> she can damp out a I don't man, I'm going to war. I want someone to damp out that sound. Right? You figure like <laughs> you probably want very keen hearing in, in war. Um I, I don't yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, her whole backstory is that she lived in a place called Gabon. And, you know, the Horde invaded her area and killed her people and stole her land. And hmm, that sounds a little bit familiar. A little mm, bit. Does it not? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but, it's you know, it's a very generic and probably a little bit thinly veiled attempt at diversity here, if you ask me. But, we'll uh, learn she more is, about that later. Yeah, she's <laughs> literally a checkbox for, like, exploited cultures. Not mm-hmm. that it's a bad thing, mind you. It just it's super forced and superficial. She really yeah. stands out on this team. All these other ones, you know, have their superhero garb. And she's like, you know, African queen mother. It's true. really, really odd. But anyway, we'll see yeah. how she pans out dampening her sound. It's true. Now, uh, somehow, Silencer seems like a new original concept because we're about to meet John Cronella, who... Uh, he might have the most useful powers out of the entire group here. He is the uh, the wonderfully Liefeldian named character in the crew. His name is Wildcard. Oh, oh, oh. Wildcard. <laughs> Spider-Man uh, starring Wildcard. Mm-hmm. Now his design resembles something like maybe like a five or six year old would create. Absolutely. His design really it's like so many weird elements that you'd see like. Like, one element that he has would, like, be an entire character study. But he's got all these weird elements on him. It's it's literally like 
like if you remember the the combo man remember combos the yes, uh the pretzels with the cheese in them they made like combo man which was like an amalgamation of like every marvel hero where it's like Cyclops' visor, but Iron's Man, Iron Man's mask, Captain America's shield, but Spider-Man's uh, you know belt, or it's all these like different things here. It's it's all in this fella wild card. Now he's he's got a uh, blonde hair, and he's got the Van Dyke goatee. So if you look at him quickly or slowly, he looks like he looks like a uh, Ollie Queen. He looks like Green Arrow. Absolutely. Very very much. Um, now, oddly, this design, as mentioned, he's got more. He's got a lot of apparatus. He's got a facial tattoo, or maybe paint over his left eye. Uh, he looks like uh, sort of like Road Warrior Hawk eye paint, if you're familiar with that. <laughs> he's dressed in like a two-pattern purple shirt, which would clash with anything, especially tight blue pants. <laughs> And he's wearing, like, the Intercontinental Championship belt around his waist. <laughs> it's true. It is the oddest costume that I've seen. Like, it's it's just, uh, like, a, it's literally like... It's a mismatch. Took, it is literally a mismatch. Hey, why don't we throw a tattoo on him? Hey, how about this shirt? No, let's half that shirt up. Why don't we give him the Intercontinental title? Hey, <laughs> how about he tight needs, pants? All he needs is, like, a... And a hook end, <laughs> and he'll, he could be. That's the only thing that would make him worse here. Oh boy! Now, uh, it, it's like Wildcard's design would just it would fall off the uh, drawing board and hit the hit the garbage. It's not not oh, great. Uh, we do get an origin story for this fella, and uh, it said he see, signed up for the process because the horde took his father captive as a slave. Now, key to this story is that he worked with his father in a clothing store, which I guess there explains his. Uh, Wild fashion sense. <clears throat> and he did so until the Horde came to take his father. So uh, he was a haberdasher, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> now, for those who don't know what a haberdasher is, <laughs> it's a <laughs> seller of small things. These small things sometimes traditionally include men's hats, which led to the American definition of men shop. So there you go. There's your oh, definition no. for folks who don't know what a haberdasher or a haberdashery <laughs> is. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, it's it's definitely uh, one of his lines that he says <laughs> when his father gets uh, gets captured. He says he was a haberdasher for Christ's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably the best line of the entire series right there. It's I don't probably know. Probably it, yeah. But his his design aside, his power set is that he can duplicate any of the moratory's power. I mean, mm-hmm. amazing. Would you not agree? Oh, finally, absolutely. finally someone's got some powers. Like he can literally take anyone's powers, but here's the hook, people, as long as they are nearby. Yes. You have to be it's a proximal power, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so say for example he was with our uh, our African queen silencer. He could only dampen silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which doesn't make sense. Anyway, Brava, for example, uh, is shown near him and he's mimicking her powers. So he knocks over a tree. You know, it's a it's a small tree, no doubt, and he he just drops it down with one punch and the the sound effect is stupid that they use. He knocks <laughs> over this tree with one punch with the sound effect that says whack W A K. Oh my God! I'm going to show you what happens when you do that to Cronella. He says, mm-hmm. oh, "Poor, oh poor wild card. This character is our new beating pole, at least for this episode. <laughs> at least for this I, I episode. I can't wait. He's going to supply us with so much material for the rest of this run. <laughs> it's going to be great. Can't anyway, wait. Anyway, 
with that, the new leader, Yuri, tells his new ragtag of moratory recruits that they have a press conference in the morning and go get some rest, people. Yes, and we're we're almost exhausted talking about these new people, too, because, yeah. you know, it's a lot to take in, man. Sure is. Commander Yuri, uh, listen, you really folks who are listening, if you got an ep- if you got this issue, take a look at Commander Yuri. This guy is definitely inspired by someone. I just can't place it, but he's definitely like drawn straight from somebody. He's it's modeled after someone. What do you think? I definitely think it is here. And this this story, this issue uh, has has like a little satirical uh, strip that we're going to look at at the very end of the book where it shows how Peter Gillis and Brent Anderson put their thoughts together and how they come up with new characters and how they decide who people are going to die, how, how and who will die in an issue. It's it's all very silly and it's you know it's comical. But when the way they draw Peter Gillis in that looks a lot like Commander Yuri here. Hmm, I'm going to Google that guy. I bet I bet you it's that's exactly what they're doing here. They're it's, using it's almost got to be. Absolutely. Now, uh, we have Hard Case, Sheer, Brava, Backhand, Silencer, and Wildcard. Uh, they're here, for better or worse, and uh, I don't know about you, but I instantly love them. Um, just <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, we, we don't like them that much. Just like we didn't really care for Toxin, Scaredy Cat, and especially Scatterbrain when we first met them. But, met them. but th- these ones are, uh, I don't know, th- th- this little like, character dump feels different than that in a way uh where those characters felt like fill-ins these characters feel like replacements and they're supposed to feel that way so i think yeah. we're supposed to have like an a- an adversarial sort of uh, opinion of them right off the bat so good job guys you make characters it's, it's, we don't like it's it's funny how they uh they produce these folks so when they introduce the other three scaredy cat toxin uh pilar and uh when they introduced those they they didn't immediately make you hate them so they made them as like the standoffish new recruits who were you know somewhat snobbish but you know you didn't despise them like you hated them the fact that they were coming in and they were stepping on their turf but these guys just seems obnoxiously you know just yeah. over the top to the point where you they want you to hate them so yeah absolutely uh, now we jump back to the original team, our team. Uh, they're aboard the Hordian ship, and we see uh, that the uh, the Mustache Brothers here. We got Louie and Will the douche. They uh, both men are trying hard to figure out the controls of the alien craft as they barrel through space on autopilot. Uh, and uh, you know, Will calms everyone's uh, nerves here, but uh, momentarily. Uh, Adept before her passing figures out the basic controls in order to set autopilot to send them back home. So. They're, they should be good here, unfortunately. <laughs> they, that was nice of her. <clears throat> there was real, real, real solid she did for them before passing away. Now, they are, in fact, rolling into the waiting fire of a horde fleet. Louis, who is a little less calm, is uh, looking at the panel of the lights of the ship, and he questions one light in particular that uh, that is glowing red. <laughs> and uh, if you've ever looked at a control panel of any sort, maybe on your dashboard or anything, if you see something glowing red, no good. Oh, boy, no. You don't want something glowing red. Um, Now, Toxin, uh, thankfully, since Adept is dead, Toxin reveals that she has been studying Hordian aviation and Hordian language. Of course. So uh, so we don't have anyone to analyze and figure this stuff out and translate, so we have someone who's been, you know, hitting the books hard, thankfully. Uh, She's able to deduce that this light is on a temperature gauge. And here comes the panic. The Horde have been hitting them with laser blasts from a extreme distance. So these are very, very weak shots here, but they are slowly but surely 
raising the temperature of the hull of the ship up to max here. Yeah, so I mean, it is just uh, they're they're really dialing it up here, unbeknownst to the team. They're literally cooking our team inside their own ship. It's, it's true. Uh, it's true. It's crazy. <laughs> I, that's a you know what? That's that's actually some genius writing because you don't smart. think of that. Yep. So you you think of uh, what I like about one thing that you said there was um, they have these buttons. So if you're familiar with sci-fi, if you watch Star Trek back in the day or Battlestar Galactica growing up, I mean, talking like 70s and 60s stuff, you mm. know that spaceships were full of buttons. Now, sure. what they did, nobody really knew, but you buttons, always had a dials, pen. sliders. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's crazy when you think about it. Like, like, what do they actually do? Have you ever seen like those large government computers that you see like like from news reports in the 70s and early sure. 80s and all that stuff. And they're like giant wall size computers and they're full of buttons and bleeps and pullers and levy. You know sure. what I mean? <laughs> like, do they actually do? Did anyone actually do anything with those or are they just there for like, visual <laughs> purposes? For show. <laughs> but anyway, our poor team is being cooked on 350, which is always my favorite temperature for cooking everything. I don't know about you. What, what's, oh, yeah. what's your what's your what's your oven temperature of choice, sir? Uh, when I when I cook Italian food, it's always 350 for 35 minutes. So there yeah, you go. There we when go. You went through just Italian food specifically. Huh? <laughs> just Italian food specifically. You yeah, put that, on. That seems to be the go-to for uh, for Italian food. Uh, <laughs> usually, if I'm cooking something like if I'm trying to roast vegetables or something, it'll go up to 450 for a little. There while. you go. There you yeah. go. I I only do pizzas, the frozen store-bought pizzas on like the 400s, but everything else is 350. Yeah. That's just for information. So what is your temperature, faithful listeners? We'd like to yes, know. Yes, we'd like to know. <laughs> anyway, back I, I to... I just put uh, it on warm. <laughs> back Do you to people. preheat, folks? <laughs> <laughs> We're going off the deep end here. We're we reaching here. <laughs> anyway. Back to the Eversons. In, inside our, uh, our pressure cooker here, the Eversons worry that our team... Um, they're they're basically you know scaring the crap out of them further by noting that we're all gonna suffocate, we're all gonna starve, right? I mean <laughs> exactly. True. But guess what? The douche has a plan. Good old William DeGucci. He recalls mm-hmm. that first when they fired up the ship, it jump started basically and launched them away instantly, and they were able to avoid the horde. It was like a quick burst. So he figures that if he shuts the ship off now. He can restart it and it will jumpstart them in reverse and take them back past the horde, past all the fire, and bring them to, back to Earth safely. <laughs> what do you think of that idea? If I just turn, if I just works, turn the right? switch off and we'll <laughs> yep. just do the reverse and I'll turn it back on and we'll jumpstart right past all the fire and right to home. <laughs> I mean, it, it, like, works when, it works when the computer's not working. You shut it off and start it again. <laughs> you know you're running out of options when you're cooking inside <laughs> your ship. <laughs> Throw the fucking switch. Do it. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get out of here. <laughs> anyway, with the horde fleet surrounding them, Will punches it and boom. It literally zaps them out of harm's way, almost in light speed, you know, sending them to Earth very much alive. And they, you know, they get there and they crash, but they seem to have crashed. They sort of materialize. They're going so fast that they actually materialize inside a building. So half the ship is literally stuck inside the building. They're moving that fast. So they instantly scare the public thinking that, hey, this though, you know, it's a horde ship that just crashed into this building or is coming out of a building. And they think that it's another horde attack coming their way. You know, this the current team of Moratory have done nothing to help their public image. That's for sure. And I guess, you know, the citizens days are restless, Christopher. They sure is. Now, as they are surrounded by security, Pilar jumps from the ship. She declares that they are Moritori and ain't nothing to worry about here. 
you're not in danger. We're the good guys, remember? <laughs> now, the guards seem to take that perfectly well, and uh, it smiles everywhere. They're, they're just happy, and uh, they are absolutely starstruck. Because uh, I, I guess we're in Detroit. We find out we're in Detroit, and uh, this, the mortuary are uh, celebrities in Detroit. It's like, hey, they're in Detroit. <laughs> now, hey, it's Will DeGucci. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Said nobody. Love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> now the public begin to swarm the moratory. They ask him questions. They're looking for autographs. It's like the Beatles just landed here. And uh, one person wonders, hey, where's the big guy? And, uh, you know, that's uh, another reminder that Big Bobby, yeah, Big Bobby, a.k.a. Marathon, he didn't survive that last mission and guiding his moratory brothers and sisters in a kamikaze attack on the Horde. Process took hold last episode, last issue, uh, took hold of Robert, and he sacrificed himself uh, in order to give his uh, brethren a chance of a successful ex- escape. Then, in a grim scene, Aileen emerges from the ship carrying the uh, also dead body of Jaylene, a.k.a. Oh, Adept. man, this is rough. Absolutely. Uh, Aileen places her friend on the ground and, in a tearful goodbye, welcomes her friend back home. You know, you made it. You're home now. Uh, another just gorgeous Anderson piece here, uh, um, beautifully rendering Jaylene's uh, or Aileen's emotion here. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> he's not going to be on the book forever, unfortunately, uh, but Man. he is the best artist for this book. Oh, I can't wait till we get to uh, your buddy. Even, oh, I'm not even going to say his name. I'm going to save it. But there's a certain artist coming up and his <laughs> name starts with Mark. And boy, is he going to get it when he starts, is all I'll tell you. Anyway, I'll let that I'll let that sit. Thank you, Brent Anderson, for uh, helping us along so far with these 13, or at least 12 issues. Sure. We did have that uh, that one Cats. issue. <laughs> anyway, good old scaredy cat, Mr. Will DeGucci, actually does something useful here. He broadcasts anger over the people to allow them some cover. Well, Louie's giving some security, you know, some incoming security force a light show, blinding them momentarily so they can make their escape. So the douche hops into one of the saucer jet things and commandeers the thing by, you know, gracefully ejecting the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time we've actually seen, you know, any bit of like a legit, you know, aggressive side of the douche yeah. here. That's cool, man. I, I got to say, I'm, pre- I'm pretty he's, digging that. He's coming into his own a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Now, Aileen is having a very difficult time. I mean, her friend just died. She's literally there on the ground. Uh, you know, with everything that's gone on, she's curled up in the fetal position. She wants her friend back. And, you know, she's tired of all the deaths. And she's also carrying a baby, which we found out one of the last issues. So she's got a lot going on. Emotions are taking over. This time, we're back with the third generation moratories. Um, and Yuri is handing out orders for the first mission. It's not tracking down the horde. It's tracking down and arresting their predecessor, you know, the predecessor moratory brothers. So he's mm-hmm. basically telling them, attack the moratory. So moratory mm-hmm. versus moratory is a coming. Now, mm-hmm. Sheer, he's the only one who seems to have any sense here. He protests, rightfully pointing out that they've already forfeited their lives. Rather than fulfilling the actual mission of the moratory, now they're being used to fight each other? Yeah. What? What is this? And, you know, uh, Yuri is an, an empathetic guy here. He's a sympathetic fellow. He gives them a generic, hey, sucks to be you, <laughs> before sending them out. He's I'm like, awesome. yeah, it's like, you signed up, you do what I tell you, do it. Man. Now, we rejoin our team, and they're hiding out in an old auto factory trying to plan their next moves. Toxin points out, at present, Strike Force Moratory are outlaws. 
Ooh. A scaredy cat suggests that maybe they just keep doing what they're doing. They just keep fighting the horde, support or no support from the Padilla. Screw the Padilla. We have a job to do. Let's just fight the horde. And uh, somewhat surprisingly, Will Deguchi, he agrees with her. <laughs> and uh, actually, actually makes a really cogent point here. He says, you know, fighting the horde is going to be much better use of the last few months of our lives than sitting in a court martial somewhere. Which stands to reason makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, however, Toxin, she ain't feeling it. <laughs> the voice of and, reason, yes. Yes, and she's pretty. You know, she's definitely the voice of the people when it comes to this whole book, mm-hmm. and pretty insistent that they just surrender. She hopes that you know, perhaps Beth Neon can pull some strings for them. Boy, did she miss out on some action because mm-hmm. uh, the commander that they once knew no longer exists. My uh, my good lady Toxin. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Aileen wonders aloud if Neon survived the nuke attack a few issues back. You know, the discussion is interrupted when poor old Mr. Deguchi senses an incoming threat. He He's useful. Like, I, I can't even believe I'm saying it. It's and, natu- and naturally incoming are the crappy third generation of moratory. <laughs> <laughs> the newbies are already nearby. They're, you know, they're sort of standing around with the thumbs up their ass trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> And the strike force attacks him from behind, which, uh, you know, I got to say is not the most heroic of moves that we would have hoped for, but whatever, <laughs> we'll take it. They deserve their ass kicked. So anyway, Toxin drops Brava with like the toxic kiss right away. And Louie squares off against Mattingly, almost looking like his own, you know, his own brother, yeah. good, old, uh, good old Viking. And he's zapping him with some good old UV rays, you know, only having the uh, Mr. Foe Herald. He repels him right back at him. So the yeah. battle is on. Now, Aileen tangles with Hardcase, and it's here that it comes out that Beth Neon is no more. Because uh, they're like, hey, just you know, tell Beth. She'll tell you that we're good guys. And like, Beth's dead. Um, now, Pilar does not take this news well, and she lunges in, punching the new douche square in his puny mustache. <laughs> new douche. New I douche. <laughs> the new douchey. Um, now, a silencer swoops in, and a wild card st- tries stealing a power, but he only winds up, like, he steals, I think, Shear's power and winds up destroying the ground beneath them like a goofball. And <laughs> all of the Murray who don't have flight shoes fall into the hole that he makes. Oh, how apropos. Isn't it? Anyway, anyway. Good old hard case. He's busy hardening stuff up. So he hardens up <laughs> some glass and just chucks it at the originals. <laughs> Here you go. Here's some hard glass. Anyway, good old silencers around and she silences the area, which is uh, enough of a distraction to uh, confuse Louie, of course. And uh, he gets hit with a few of the shards of glass. I guess mm-hmm. that is a somewhat useful power. I mean, sure. you could do you could do like gunshots and nobody will hear you and it just That's hits true. you. That's yeah. true. I just, I just, I just don't know if I want to go into battle with a a silence dampener or a a, a dampener, I should say, that yeah. dampens silence. I don't know. Anyway, God bless Toxin because she does the Lord's work and she KOs Silencer. <laughs> she insists that the newbies just stop and listen for a minute. Hold the phone here, people. Settle down. Anyway, the <laughs> unfortunately our fake ass Green Arrow, he ain't having this. He doesn't comply one bit. And so Pilar hops on his back, and although she's, you know, <laughs> it looks like she's going to deliver, like, a poison rana, <laughs> and she proceeds to choke him out with her legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like they're doing a chicken fight here, and she's just tied his, uh, tied her, her legs around his neck. <laughs> and suddenly, Wild Card begins to glow. Mm. Now, Darn. Deguchi, yeah, Deguchi tells Pilar to vacate her chicken fight because he knows what's about to go down. 
Wildcard is flipping out. He's shambling around the battlefield, lamenting the fact that it looks as though he's already uh, going to succumb to the Moritori process. He's a now, haberdasher, damn it. He is, damn it. Now, as the Kirby crackle starts to appear around him, he does something interesting. He focuses on Aileen, copies her power, and proceeds to melt down to nothing more than bone and hair. Now, Aileen is on the ground, and she sees this, and she wonders why he would take her power right before succumbing to the process. Uh And also, in like a very weird bit here, she wonders if she just watched someone dying her death. Hmm. That's a very interesting thought, actually. Why? Why do you think that he chose that power? What? What do you think? You know, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to reveal anything. But uh, it, it is. It is very weird. I. I. I think at this point, without any kind of hindsight, we might think that he would have known that it would have been the least destructive power. There you go. Where like it, he wouldn't be popping and killing everybody. He would just be melting. Uh, that's what I'm thinking it was. Uh, it's it's going to play out kind of strange. Yes. Now, this somber and sobering event is enough to get everyone present to finally cool their jets. <laughs> Our good boy, Mattingly, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Faux Viking, he loses his ever-loving shiznit. He so. does. So he actually got to see firsthand what he's gotten himself into. And, I mean, you know, he's just a dude hired to play a moratorium in a soap opera. And he died like seven issues in. This should not be news. But anyway, for some reason, he's just coming to the stirring relation, realization that, wait a second, I'm actually going to die here. What, what have I got myself into? <laughs> and he like, he like runs out with his hands waving over his head. He's like, oh, no, I want to go home. <laughs> I want to go home. That is hilarious. And you know what? Honest to God, that's what it would be. I mean, you know, everything sounds like a great idea at the time. I'm sure a lot of folks who signed up for the military and all that stuff, once they got themselves into heavy battle, are like, oh, shit. What did I do? Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, God bless him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so um, after he just loses it, he, like, he runs out of the place. He's scared to death. And Scaredy Cat is concerned that if it was for her attack that sent Wildcard to his death. You know, it's she's concerned that... Hey, geez, I just killed one of the, our fellow oh, brothers, oh, non-brothers. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Deguchi comforts her and assures him that it was just the, you know, it was just a process. It was nothing more. So, you know, trying to be the uh, the voice of reason here for the voice of reason. <laughs> one of the voice <laughs> of reasons in the book. The amalgamated moratories, they kind of put their differences aside finally. I mean, finally, I guess, after the death of somebody and someone else running, I mean, they're, you know, their numbers basically went down a little bit. So... All of a sudden, they're on even terms, so they decide to just, okay, we got to relax here. The oldies decide to return to the base with the newbies so they might, you know, at least try to explain themselves to the new powers that be. Oh, boy, they get to meet the new commander. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to think of this douchebag. But anyway, outside, it's like a full zoo. I mean, the press are everywhere. Crowds are everywhere as they head back to the ship. Um when we wrap up, we reveal that Jaylene is, in fact, actually dead. We didn't really get confirmation entirely, but she did 100% die. And, in fact, her body has already been taken for an autopsy. Aileen, one of her best friends, she's really not taking this in stride, as you would know. I mean, she's an emotional person anyway, but her mm-hmm. friends are dying left and right, and she's just not taking it well. Yeah. And that is the wrap-up. And next issue... It's going to be All My Trials. Hmm. Enough hmm. said. What do you think about that? It's funny. It says enough said, but I don't think that All My Trials really doesn't explain much. Uh, no, it doesn't. 
<laughs> like, like I, and you know what? Probably when they're making this book, as we'll see a little bit later, maybe they don't even have a clue what's coming. They might not. <laughs> they might. Not. Maybe it's not on the dartboard. <laughs> now, before we get into the you know bonus features of this issue, uh, what, what did you think of this story? Oh, really? Uh, actually. I'm on two minds with this one. I did really enjoy the, uh, you know, we lost one of one of our team members there, Jaylene, uh, you know, adept she passed on, which was, which was a big blow. Uh, we got to, you know, we got to see the teams, rev- you know, dealing with the fact that they're losing their team members. And then we mm-hmm. got to see these new recruits, which were, which were a bit of fun. I chuckled a lot when sure. I was, uh, when I was reviewing them there, you know, the fight was a little, little messy and scrappy, but, uh, overall I definitely enjoyed this book. It's, uh, extremely long winded, <laughs> but, uh, it is. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it's definitely not one of the worst chapters in the entire series. Uh, just a, just a fun, a fun go through here for sure. Yeah. And, and, and like, like we were saying here, we did, uh, we did have a little bit of fun with these new characters, but I really think that the way we were introduced to them and the fact that they are like semi generic and they do feel like a few of these characters are only there to replace characters we've lost. I yep. think we're supposed to have like an adversarial adversal sort of feeling towards them. We're supposed to feel like these people are interlopers, you know, like they don't what did they do to to earn this, you know? How is how is uh what's her fit? How is I don't remember her name. <laughs> the, the new Robert Brava. Oh, Brava, like, yeah. What it's like, why should we like Brava? And you know, why why should we let Brava take over for Robert? You know, we get like that kind of territorialism. And it I, is. I, I think it's, that's, it's, yeah, it's I true. think that that's intentional. I think I, I hope it is because uh, otherwise I'm a very petty individual. <laughs> <laughs> no, because and easily swayed by fiction. One one of the things that I think is happening here is that I think we're starting to lose a sense of our team because yeah. we really we really grew up with the uh, well you know within one year anyway. Sure. It's 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 funny because they've just gone through an entire year, which is basically one full moratory cycle with the team, and they're basically killing them all off. So you know we're starting to see as readers the moratory process with this entire book as a whole. It's yep. almost like an analogy for the, for the title itself. So, you know, the old, the out with the old in with the new, whether we like them or not. And one thing I will say is that more and more, every single issue, the second generation is scaredy cat toxin and Pilar are growing on me more and more. So I'm, I'm, sure. I'm enjoying their presence. And the fact that we brought in another half dozen of the other ones really says that, you yeah. know, business is picking up. Yeah. Business is picking up. Yeah, even like uh, like Will Deguchi here is coming into his own, and he actually feels as weird as it is to say he feels like a veteran. You know, he feels like someone that's been with us for far longer than he actually has. And uh, I mean, what what do we have from our original team here now? Two characters? Is it just it's just Aileen and Louis? Yes, man. There were, we're yeah. down to two. Two. That's wild. That's wild. But yeah, I, I echo a lot of your thoughts here. This was. Uh, um, I don't know that this needed to be double sized. I don't even know if the main story was double sized for for all we know, uh, with all the add-ons. But uh, it did feel a, a bit long. Um, the 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 scenes. It seemed like there was just a lot of different scenes here, you know, that could have been fleshed out further in subsequent issues or something. But you know, I, I guess we can only complain about decompression <laughs> so much, where it's good to get a lot of information at once. So. Uh, Basically disregard everything I just said, um, but I I, <laughs> I thought the fight was uh, the fight was good in that um, I mean Yuri here we have Yuri who's a pretty interesting cat um, 
he's it looks like he was like chomping at the bit to hear that neon is dead like oh yeah definitely. he's like answering the phone as soon as like is it, is it my turn now is it my turn now and the first thing he does is he sends this untrained group against the people that they trained you know against the the people that the padilla trained to be killing machines fighting aliens they're sending these brand new fresh-faced dying people to fight the people that they had trained to do their job. It's very weird and it doesn't seem well thought out and it almost seems like a publicity stunt. It's a, it that's really, exactly what I thought as well. It seemed yes. like it was just orchestrated to, mm-hmm. you know, just cause news because everything around this whole episode, you have the media outside, they're swarming, yeah. there's autograph seekers. So it's almost like a stunt. And I think that's what Yuri yeah. is, uh, as a commander, wanted spectacles to, de- to debut yeah. his new team, right? Yeah, because there's that, that saying, you know, there no, there's no such thing as bad press, you know, and it uh like if you've ever worked somewhere where somebody uh somebody got a position of authority after a little while you know somebody took over for a manager and then all of a sudden like everything everything changes just a little bit like it's nothing that really even you even notice but like suddenly like all the memos need to be reprinted with this person's name on it you know it's like (laughs) and you're wondering it's like why are we wasting why are we wasting ten thousand pieces of paper to print out the same thing with one name changed on it and that's what I'm getting from Yuri here. It's like very superficial change, but he wants everyone to know that there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new commander, uh, you know, was, was sending these poor kids out to do whatever. It's uh, now, it, it now, definitely now, expected. Th- now, now, think about that. How does that parallel the Marvel Universe at this time? What is different here? Hmm. Jim Shooter is gone from the Marvel hmm. Universe. Right? Who takes over his role? Who takes over Jim Shooter? Two-fisted Tom DeFalco. <laughs> Kicker's Inc. Mr. Kicker's Inc. Tom DeFalco <laughs> took over. So is this an analogy that we're moving on? We're, you know, we're we're changing the thing, the way we do things here, and you're going to like it, and that's the, you know, and the fans are going to like it. You're going to, we're going to give you five new characters, and you're going to just love them. You're going to eat them alive. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a very, very good point. It's a... Because, I mean, you know, moving Shooter aside and putting DeValco into the seat was not done quietly. <laughs> Definitely not. Oh, my God. I I picture that whole ordeal. You know, when it says that Jim's, you know, when you hear memos that, oh, so-and-so stepped down or has, sure. you know, gone into a new role. You're like, you know, it's a thinly veiled thing. No, I, I think they had to physically remove Jim Shooter from Marvel offices, kicking and screaming. <laughs> and I bet he punched a couple of them along the way, too. I want to I want to hope so. Yeah. And he, and he slapped the secretary on the ass on the way out and asked for a coffee. <laughs> That's what he did. It'll be on the curb. Come on. Now, uh. <laughs> With that, with that all said, uh, we definitely want to hear what you all think about this first year. I mean, we're in the second year now of the issue of the issues here, and it's a uh, it's a very similar book than it was when it started, but it's also wildly different than it was when it started. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But uh, let's get into some of the bonus features of this double sized, double priced issue. We've got the official Strike Force Moratory Handbook, which if you're familiar with like the official handbook of the Marvel universe or like who's who in the DC universe, it's, it's that basically um, the next several pages it's a pretty decent primer on many things moratory up to this point. We learned a little bit about the Padilla Institute it started off as a school and basically wound up picking up where the United Nations left off where, where, you know, the world was starting to fall apart. Uh, they have representation from uh, 
a lot of places around the world here. We have the USSR, so uh, I guess we can assume there never was like a, a glasnost and oh, you know, yes. fall at this point. Yep. Um, which, I mean, in fairness, it was 1988 when this came out, or 1987 when this came out, so there was none yet. So uh, we also have Asia, we have Canada, we have there the Americas. My, yeah. my Canadian brothers who just got nuked in this book, by the way. And I don't know why can Canada and the Americas are separate. We're, we're on the same continent. Um, we also have Europe. We have Australia and Oceania. Or Oceania. I've never been able to say that word. And also Africa. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's... I mean, that's an interesting group of countries we got there. But sure. we're going to move on right there to the Black Watch. I mean, can, how can we beat this... Any, any more to death than we can. I mean, starting on issue one, we had Harold. And, I mean, yep. Harold carried around the last stand of the Black Watch comic book. Everything in the first four to five issues centered around people's passion for the original moratory group, the Black Watch. I mean, we've seen their origins. We've seen their deaths over and over and over. We might as well just list them. Yep. So we got good old Mr. Clinton Rogers. I mean, he was a farmer from Decanter, Kansas. That's about pretty well all we know about him. Yep. We got... Woodrow Joshua Green, now good old Woodrow, he was a, he was Canadian, he was from mm-hmm. Toronto, Ontario, and he was an industrial designer, that that served him well, didn't it, he gave up that career <laughs> too soon, <laughs> then we got Bruce Higashi, <laughs> boy did he have the right job, he was from Hiroshima, Japan, and he was a stress therapist, now, there was a couple there that we didn't really even get to see. So ones we brought back in, like, the recruit storyline, Aaron Ray Leonard. Was that anything to do with Sugar Ray Leonard? I would say it did. Probably. Then we also then we had Patricia Lynn Sobrero, and they mm-hmm. both died in the garden. You know, they, they the, the surviving trio only had literally one mission. They right. were literally, yes, they infiltrated the Horde base in Cape Town, South Africa, and that's literally the last thing we saw of them. Mm-hmm. that's the you know, only it, mission they had like yes. you hear them like like the like the legacy of the black watch and like the the regal majesty of the black watch that came before and you figure that these dudes were just like kicking ass around the country around the world they had one mission one oh yeah and they blew it <laughs> not only did they blew it but they had an entire nation praising these guys i mean these guys were these guys got wholesale slaughtered legends yeah but the media actually spun their efforts and, mm-hmm. you know, created them like iconic heroes that were celebrated propaganda and everybody heroes. wanted to be. Yeah, they were propaganda heroes. They wanted to be everybody wanted to be the Black Watch. Mm-hmm. Everybody did. And we saw this, you know, we saw the the one mission that they had in like the, the crappiest issue we had, which was the cats issue. Mm-hmm. We saw Rogers, who was killed in battle. We saw Woody. He succumbed to the process while escaping on a ship with Bruce. And poor old Higashi Hagoshi, depends on which way they spell it, is <laughs> assumed to have perished in the resulting ship crash. But we learned a little something a little bit later there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we, we actually we actually did learn something. There was only one mission, folks. <laughs> yeah, that's all they had. Uh, we have another page here, which is the Roll of Honor. And this is just a list of the frontliners that we've lost over the course of the past 13 issues. And it includes Lorna Rayburn. We know her as Snapdragon. I believe she passed in issue four or five. Uh, Harold Everson, Viking. He died in issue six. Robert Greenbaum, Marathon. He died last issue, issue 12. And uh, Jaylene Anderson, Adept, who passed this very issue. Uh, Now we go to the most boring page. Um, (laughs) Anytime you look at one of these, like... 
you know, who's who's or like the uh, the G.I. Joe special strategy, whatever the hell they used to call them, where they just list the characters. They'd always have those pages where it's the equipment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yes. Oh, it's so dull. Um, what were we they called? Have... The, the, the G.I. Joe ones, was it called Call to Order or something? Whatever it was. I can't remember something what like, the Order of Battle or Order some... of Battle. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this is basically just a page showing the Horde ships and it's very dull. We've got uh, the small range two man bumble bomber. We got the short, the small range dart ship. Uh, we got two large scale spacefaring quote home ships. Uh, one measure, measures 15 miles in length, the other 10 miles in length. Uh, we got some mid range uh, flying apparati here. We have uh, the scorpion strafer slash bomber, and it looks like a scorpion. Of course. Uh, yeah, and we also got the breach assault ship, which looks like a random generic ship. They, they all look like put, random generic ships. They do. They're like super generic. They've got like parts of familiar spaceships, but they're, I don't know. It's just something not well thought out. It was like, here, here's a design. We'll go with that. We'll call it something. We have an extra page. Can you fill it? Sure. <laughs> Speaking of filling pages, we also go through <laughs> the known alien races. We meet the Melodar or the cats, as we call them. Unfortunately, we met those folks mm. in a horrendous issue. The only issue that I despise of this entire series so far. Absolutely. We also met the healers. Now, these were these gross things that actually caused people's skin to seal up over their faces, <laughs> which was uh, they were they were rough, man. That was one of my favorite ep- uh, issues as well. Yep. We got to see the translators, which were basically complete ripoffs of face huggers from aliens. And they, the horde, for some reason, wear them sometimes. What they do with them, I've got no idea. <laughs> But I don't. I, I fear. I shudder to think what they do with those face huggers. Maybe to use them for hugging elsewhere. I don't know. Could anyway, be. then we have the tall ones. You know, they were the race we saw when the horde slaughtered during the cats issue. So mm-hmm. absolutely, the, the unfortunate cats issue, which keeps popping back up. Then finally, we have the uh, the actual backup feature here, and uh, this one is a uh, you know a short story here. It's called How Peter and Brent Create and Destroy. Strike Force Muraturi, and uh, <laughs> it's basically exactly what it sounds like. It's a, a satirical look at how the folks behind this book put everything into motion in uh, you know, creating this book and the characters and all that good stuff. And uh, it's still drawn by Brent Anderson, but it is a far more cartoony Brent Anderson. And uh, the issue, or the story at least, opens in Chicago, and we enter Peter B. Gillis's astoundingly messy office. <laughs> now is gillis the guy you said that looked like the uh the new commander yuri yeah yeah you know what it definitely if, if anyone has this mm-hmm. there's definitely definitely the inspiration is definitely there 100 yeah. and his his office is a disaster now oh it's awesome. i don't i don't know if he's in a like a, a loss prevention office or something because he <laughs> has like a million monitors which i have no idea why he would have that there he does. He does. I, I don't know if he maybe he likes white noise. Maybe he likes uh, combative, uh, you know, <laughs> audio, audio uh, stimuli. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> now we, we can see here that he is a Mac user because he has a how to outsmart your Mac book or something like that. Oh, of course he does. Of course he does. Now, he also has several televisions, as you mentioned, on the back in on in the background. And he's currently watching a lot of different shows here. He's got I Love Lucy on one. He's got Star Trek on another. The Cat in the Hat on another. He's playing Pac-Man on one. Uh, there's some game show, I think, on one. Uh, one screen just says, humans mean nothing, which uh, I, I think that's just some existential cliche to maybe show us how deep he is. Uh, 
unless it's a reference to like some obscure sci-fi show that I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I haven't heard of that before. Maybe our uh, our listeners can help us out. Yeah. Humans mean nothing. What does it mean? Help us with that. So one of the things that I see on the reference shelf as well, he's got like a ton of stuff on his bookshelf, which I noticed. And it's, there's tons of Fantastic Four stuff, but there's a lot of different things there as well. So mm-hmm. some of the books say, like, for example, Dead Languages. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> Mystery in Space, Strange Tales, Thor. But they also have an interesting one, and it's the Rocketeer. Yep, it's true. Not, it's not true. even not even a Marvel book, but they, they've got it there, which is kind of cool. And they've also got a book that says Herbie. Mm-hmm. The Could Fat you... Fury, you think? I I I don't know. Is it related to the uh, the ill-fated Herbie the robot from the Fantastic Four cartoon back in the Could day? Be. And Could then be. there's a book that we don't know the name of. We only see a portion of the spine, and you only see S E X as the last words. Oh, mm. how cute! Wah, wah, wah. What a pervert! <laughs> what <laughs> what a pervert! I say. <laughs> Up in the corner, he's also got the Orson Welles fan club book or not a book a a poster which yeah. looks a lot like Him. peter gillis <laughs> informs his uh style choices <laughs> really weird anyway now that we got that out of the way we shift over to good old brent and boy brent is just he looks like the most relaxed guy in the world mm-hmm. he's just lounging in his san diego studio apartment and he's being attended to like all these voluptuous or just one voluptuous women and boy does she look good in her leopard print bikini woohoo mm-hmm. <laughs> Good old Brent. I knew he was a cool dude, see? But yep, one thing yep. that strikes out at uh, at Brent, what's one thing you notice about Brent here? It's kind of mustache. The porn stash. <laughs> here we are wondering this entire time, you know, where why all these people have the stashes. You know, why are the, why are these characters being drawn with these pencil thin porn stashes? Now the entire know. time, yes, Mr. Brent Anderson actually has one. Oh man. <laughs> Oh, man. On his desk, he's also got how to draw pictures of April Campbell. Now, I don't know what that means or who that is, but interesting piece of little thing there. It's a very different vibe for sure compared to uh, Peter's office. But uh, Brent ain't feeling it. He's burned out from all the deadline pressure. And uh, you know what? I don't know why he's burned out because the shooter just left. So the wheels are off this thing here now. He should. That's probably why he's relaxing. He's actually on chain from his desk the first time while Shooter had it. But anyway, hopefully this doesn't mean that the rest of his the rest of this book will be drawn by Will Sportacio. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Anyway, Peter tells him that he's got a buck up, Buttercup. Otherwise, they're going to face the wrath of Jim. No, Carl Potts. Mm-hmm. Now, now I don't know about you, but when you think about Jim Shooter, it's like a really razor sharp name, Shooter. Oh, yeah. Then you got Carl Potts. Very soft. <laughs> anyway, Peter shares his idea for the next double size or the double size issue that we just read, Strike Force Moratory number three, and it says we'll have six new characters come in and fight the old ones. We'll call it When Titans Clash. You know, it's taken literally right out of a book of like how to make attractive comic book stories from, you know, old Stan Lee ideas, you know, which also has a footnote of thanks to Stan Lee there as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Brent, Brent is down with creating new characters. And while preparing a martini suggests, why not go for an even dozen? We can do 12. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Peter assures him that six is more than enough. Uh, in the background of Peter's panel here, it's funny. We see pictures of the original Moriturias on the wall. 
Some of them, the dead ones, have darts embedded in them. Oh, which, man. Which might inform us how these decisions might be made. You know, which one's going to die? Throw a dart. Boom. Oh, Harold's going, you know. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, now, Brent heads out to the beach, but not before lambasting a woman, maybe his wife, for cutting his sandwich the wrong way. Ooh. And I, and I got to wonder, if assuming you do cut your sandwiches in half, how do you do it? Do you do straight across or diagonal? Okay, so as a kid... As a kid growing up, going to school, it was always like diagonal. Okay. okay. It was always, I had corner to, have, to corner. Like, corner to corner. That's how I always used to cut it. Funny as an adult, I like that thing cut right down the middle. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know mm-hmm. why that is. I feel I get more sandwich and less, uh, less Air. crust. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> know what it is, but I, I, I'm a hat. I'm, I'm an in the middle guy right now. How about yourself? You know, I, I'll do it straight across usually unless I feel fancy, and then I'll go corner to corner to make it look fancy. I, I don't take pictures <laughs> of my food like so many people do these days. I, I should when I do a sandwich, though, because now when I'm making a cheesy. when I'm making a grilled cheese, I like mm-hmm. to have cut on the diagonal and not in the middle. Mm-hmm. Weird. Okay. Okay. It's really strange. I don't I, eat I'm, grilled cheese. Oh, I can't. Man. I can't do hot cheese. I don't know why. I, I could do hot cheese like an Italian food or on a pizza, but I can't do just like straight hot cheese. <laughs> what have you been doing with your life, Sheehan? <laughs> I, 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 I don't eat cheeseburgers. I only eat hamburgers. I don't eat yeah. che- like che- cheese hot dogs. It's always just regular. It's. Now, yeah. I went to, I'm going to call a place out and I, I, I can't stand it. It's called TGI Fridays in Canada. Okay. Okay. Now, it's, I, it's I, went a place. On, I, went, I went, yeah, I went on a business trip. And uh, I wanted a cheeseburger. Everything mm-hmm. on the menu was always something. There was always something there I didn't like or was a specialty thing or something okay. like that. So I'm looking at the menu and I'm like, okay, cheeseburger and fries. Nailed it. Got it. Perfect. Write the book. Anyway, out comes the cheeseburger, okay? Now it's a nice thick sandwich, you know, really, really nice impressive piece of meat in the middle. But on top of my damn burger is mm. actually cut up cheese from a block. Like it's just sliced like, and put on okay. top. Okay. So it wasn't was, melted or it was not melted. It was still hard. It was melting as I ate it. And I was like, what is this crap? I was like, I asked for, do you have just processed cheese? And no, we don't use processed cheese here. We use cheese slices, real cheese. And I'm like, this tastes like shit. <laughs> I literally said that. <laughs> it was garbage. It was anyway, it was one of those things where, and my wife always tells me that I'm a pain in the ass when it comes to restaurants. So, mm-hmm. you know, I always challenge people. So if there's something I don't like, I'll just tell them, hey, you know what? This is really not. And I'm, and I'm pretty good with it up front. But sure. when it gets to the second or third time, I, I get increasingly nasty. Oh, yes. but this this drove me crazy because I had already sent one meal back because I didn't like it. Oh, because funny. Oh, here's what it was. So I'm a nacho connoisseur. OK, it's mm-hmm. right on my Twitter profile. I eat nachos. They brought out nachos. They had the wrong cheese on it. There was no jalapenos. There was no peppers. It tasted like ratchet ass. It was garbage. So I sent that back. I said, I just want a cheeseburger. Thank you. And they screwed that up too. Chris, I'm still angry over that right now. I got to be honest with you. So that's, 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 that's my bread cutting incident. Move on. <laughs> no, anytime I go, to, it's uh, moving like from New York to, uh, to Arizona or actually anywhere outside of New York. Um, you know, every week we'd go to McDonald's, you know, yeah. it's just a thing you do. And, uh, I would always order like, uh, just the regular, the hamburgers, you know, it's, yes. I think like one of the yep. value meals was like two hamburgers, you know, Perfect. so I would order that. And, you know, I, we came out here and I order it. One thing about New York that they don't do anywhere else I've been in this country where I bought a hamburger, 
they don't put mustard on a hamburger in New York. And that's the way I like it because I don't even let mustard in my house. I hate <laughs> mustard that much. I, I if There are two things that I don't allow in my house. It's mustard and ranch dressing. I hate them Ooh. both. Oh, wow. So, like if I have. If I have like friends or family over who want that, it's like okay, well you bring your own mustard or you bring your own your your own ranch. I don't buy that stuff. That stuff doesn't go in my fridge. It doesn't mingle with my food. Oh my! Don't do it. But uh, yeah, going to McDonald's, they put mustard on hamburgers out here, and I well, they, I, I they, flipped. They, oh, they do here as well. Absolutely. Oh, I flipped out. I'm like, what the hell is this? I didn't ask for mustard, and they're like, mustard comes on. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It's what are you to be, talking about? It's supposed to be ketchup, some slimy pickles, and like yeah, some onion bits. And it's, no, no, we put mustard on it. And it's so really everywhere strange. I go. <laughs> yeah. So so what do you do now? So when you go anywhere else, you specifically ask, do you? I have to. Yeah, I have to be the biggest like baby pain in the ass. And I, I don't eat at fast food places anymore uh, since I started my weight loss regimen. I, I, I haven't had McDonald's in years. But uh, like if we're at a restaurant and I'll buy, I'll get a hamburger or something, it'll be like – it always has to start with like, what do you put on your hamburger? And they're like, oh well, we put this, this, this is okay. I don't want any of that. <laughs> well, or I'll just say, I'll just say, let's start with a dry hamburger. And they'll look at me like I got three heads. I'm like, no, no, we're gonna do this piece by piece. And it's like, what kind of lettuce do you have? Like, you have those big leaves or you have shredded? Oh, big leaves. Okay, I don't want that. I don't want the big leaf because that that thing just comes out as soon as you bite into it. It's like I don't want tomatoes. Okay, what kind of onions do you use? Do you use like slimy ones or like or like raw ones? Oh, we use raw ones. Okay, cool. Put them on there. It's like oh yeah, oh, yeah. oh man, I'm a raw onion guy as well, no doubt. Yeah. So do you, do you guys don't have Harvey's restaurant there, do you? Where you make your own burgers? No, no, we okay, have Fuddruckers, so, which is sim- similar. Okay, so we have Harvey's here in Canada, and what mm-hmm. Harvey's does, they it's it's basically Subway of burgers. So you okay. go in and there's a whole buffet thing where you can add all the stuff. However, yeah, like you don't you don't rock. touch it. You still have to tell the person that, you know, They'll I want I want this and I want two jalapenos and I want this and I want this and I want this. But it would make your, you know, it makes your perfect hamburger. You know what I mean? Sure. And the slogan is Harvey's makes your hamburgers a beautiful thing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there. I'm sponsored. <laughs> this this episode sponsored by Harvey's. There you go. Mm-hmm. Folks. <laughs> and Fuddruckers. Why not? Yeah, there um, you go. But yes, I, I am a major pain in the ass ordering food. And uh, my wife says that if I ever ordered anything over a uh, like a drive through, like I uh, my accent, I guess, really comes out. <laughs> Indeed. And she's like, no one can understand what you just said. I'm like, I, it's like I said, no cheese, no mustard. What's wrong with that? They're like, no, no, she, they, they did not understand you. And sure enough, she's always right. <laughs> and then I go in and like, like I asked for this without cheese and mustard. It's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, I did really good <laughs> but yes back to our story yes <laughs> now we have here um brent s why the mori tories because we're going back to the story here why are they going to be fighting each other and peter kind of loses his cool here and he just says don't worry about it you know they're fighting don't worry about it which really feels like the way comics might be written in 2020 don't oh, worry about boy. anything just make it happen I know. think this is exactly how the any of the DC versus Marvel crossovers ever happened. <laughs> it's like, just, don't even think about it. Just do they're it. They're just going to fight. Don't worry about the details yet. <laughs> now, Brent goes waiting in the waters, and he readies to create the new characters. Uh, Peter digs through his drawers, tossing a Doctor Strange cape out of the way, looking for something. Back in San Diego, Brent is also looking for something. Now, it turns out that that something was darts, more darts. Now, Brent tosses... <laughs> 
Brent Dawes is the first dart at a wall, and it sticks in a post-it note that reads, Physical Strength. So now we know the powers of this first new character. <laughs> Peter fires a dart with a slingshot into another set of post-its on the wall, which lands on Spanish. So now we know their nationality. We might be talking about Brava here, I think. Um, now, Brent asks what his name will be. What is this new character? What's his name going to be? Which prompts Peter to look over his shoulder at a poster of Chris Claremont. Now, <laughs> Chris Claremont is doing the, the classic Uncle Sam, like, I want you pose. <laughs> and the words <laughs> under him reads, Claremont says, is there any reason it can't be a woman? <laughs> <laughs> this is very 2020 of them. It's very 2020. And Peter suggests that they call her Dominica. So, yes, oh, this man. was the creation of Brava. We have just seen the conception and the creation <laughs> of Brava. And after three hours of dart throwing later, we've got a fully flushed out team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Include such traits as socks must always match yes. <laughs> and, and has bad breath. Now, which one of these team members do you think has bad breath? I think we're just going to go ahead and guess. Hard it's case. hard. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. got that halitosis. <laughs> Oh man, I've got a guy at work right now who eats garlic, <laughs> who eats garlic all the time, and he eats it in front of everybody, and it it's one of those things where like, you know how Steve Ditko smells like rotten onions, I same remember. thing. It just he just reeks out of his pores, and like doesn't matter if he was in the elevator, he can't get in there for like five minutes. It's like <laughs> cre- creeping death, and nobody's got the guts, including me as a store manager. I don't want to tell him, but anyway, there you go. <laughs> Anyway, good old Brent, he's back on the beach. He's lounging out in a hammock after a grueling day of work. And I, you know, grueling in quotation marks. <laughs> Peter is sort of dressed like Henry VIII there. And he's feasting on some turkey legs to celebrate a job well done. Uh, okay, then. <laughs> but the only thing left to do is to decide who dies. And, of course. Uh, but before they can do that, another phone rings. And it's good old Carl Potts, the editor. Now, he's calling with just a gentle reminder that this book is running late. Now, the difference between Carl Potts and Jim Shooter is that there would be no gentle reminder. You know, <laughs> these these guys would not be on a beach. They would not be in different offices. They're chained they'd be, to a desk. They'd be knocking on DC's door at this point. Yes. They would have, like, Japanese water torture done to them. You know, they'd be, getting, they'd be making sure that this book ain't running late. So, anyway. I don't even recall this book being late, do you? No, it's not. No, 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 I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Anyway, Brent and Peter each throw a dart, you know, which hits a photo of Carl Potts. Oh, poor Carl Potts. Mm. Carl Potts was 35 years old. Oh, oh. oh poor guy. <laughs> oh. Now, uh, oh. yeah, that's uh, that's the story portion. And uh, it was silly. It was fun. Um, not sure I would have wanted to spend the extra, you know, money on it. But, uh, yeah. It was what it was back in no, the, the 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 extras. It was this was definitely a cash grab. I don't know why they didn't do this in issue twelve or ten or something just to make it yeah. seem like it was something special. Nope, issue. Um, I guess it was unlucky thirteen. There you go. Yeah, it almost feels like like this was like maybe supposed to be an annual. I don't know. Maybe maybe maybe. Bet you, I bet you you're dead on with that. Could be. Yeah. Um. Now for the rest of the book here, the unstory pages here. Do you think we have a letters page? Hell no. <laughs> no letters page that that would uh that would actually mean that they would have to get letters for <laughs> for the for this book that nobody seems to know existed back in the day it's true uh you think it came with a bullpen bulletins <laughs> hell no it didn't no, uh, 
But your boys ain't going to leave you high and dry here. We actually dug through our long boxes to find another Marvel book with a December 1987 cover date in order to bring you the goods. So, yes, we do have bullpen bulletins. No, it wasn't in this book. Uh, (laughs) Now, as always, our bullpen bulletins start with a quote of the month. And it is, I admire you, Daredevil. I admire your relentless concern for the rights of scum. But I ain't you. Ooh, and, uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, uh, it comes from Wolverine in uh, Daredevil number 249. <laughs> oh, I got to do the next part. It's all about two-fisted <laughs> kicker's ink <laughs> celebrity, <laughs> Mr. Tom DeFalco, as he's getting comfortable in his new role as editor-in-chief, and he enlists. No, no, no not editor-in-chief. I changed it here. I changed oh, his title. Editor-in-chief. <laughs> <laughs> he's the editor-in-chief. <laughs> And he enlists two times, two-time butt-diving champion, Mr. Mark Grunewald, as his number two. Well, God bless him. And Mark will keep up his regular duties while assuming many, many more, I'm sure. Probably probably without a pay increase along the way. <laughs> so he's now, like, the character coordinator for Marvel. I don't know what that means, but that seems like a kick in the ass for sure. <laughs> so if Wolverine already starts appearing in 87 books a week, we, we know who's to blame right now. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, in other news, we have uh, Mary Marvel staffers Jumpin' Jack Morelli and our very own chromatic Christy Max Scheel have gotten married. I didn't know Max Scheel was a woman. I didn't either. Actually, I honestly thought it was a dude, but I guess not. I thought they were two different people because sometimes it's Christy Scheel, sometimes it's Max Scheel. So I thought maybe they were husband and wife or brother and sister or something. I guess that that'll that's what you get for assuming. I guess um, you know what you know what assuming does to us, brother. It's true. It's true. Uh, we also learned that Danson Don Perlin has become a grandfather, so congratulations, Mazel Tov. Um, Chris Claremont, he wrote a science fiction novel called First Flight. Mm. Now, if you go into that expecting anything like the X Men, you're going to be disappointed. I've never read it. Have you? I looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> Was it crap? <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, yeah. Now, also, if you feel as though Chris Claremont is already too wordy as it is, ain't seen <laughs> nothing yet. Uh, our final piece of news is that Stanley is uh, busy making movies and TV shows still. Uh, yes. Of course, none of these came out until very, 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 very late in the future. But uh, he's out there making them. So, well, which, which seemed to be like a running gag in the bullpen bulletins, like throughout the 80s and into the 90s. It's like, oh, Stan's in Hollywood. He's kicking ass in Hollywood. <laughs> Boy, was he making some classics here. The Punisher and Captain America. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Up next is our profile of good old karate kid legend Ralph Macchio. Oh, wait. Uh, not, no. that one. not that one. Not that guy. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, his gig, he's the editor on Captain America, Daredevil. Fantastic Four and Thor. That's a laundry mm. list there, brother. Now, his, fast, his past freelance credits include Marvel 2 and 1, which I couldn't stand. Doctor Strange, <laughs> garbage. Uh, Thor, trash. Kiss 2. <laughs> Whatever Kiss that 2. <laughs> <laughs> and there was also a Black Widow strip in Marvel Fanfare and Solomon Kane. Boy. Ooh. Ooh, how did he how did he get to the big leagues getting on cap and daredevil and all that stuff when all he did was that dredge i don't know anyway his current freelance work (laughs) and we made fun of this one was avengers but not the avengers you remember back in the day folks nope the crappy ones that didn't sell five issues back in the 80s (laughs) then we had the marvel movie adaptations which were like house two (laughs) now his hobbies include tennis 
which is which is understandable. Like I sure. I don't I don't mind a game of tennis before I got fat. I really did enjoy the tennis. <laughs> and uh quoting the honeymooners, you know. Ravi boy. To the moon, Alice, to the moon. <laughs> Watching pugilist exhibition pugilistic exhibitions, sorry. So boxing matches, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And my personal favorite, hanging signs on Danny Fingerot's back. Oh, just those those hijinks of those Marvel stuff. Oh, those rascals. Mm. Oh my god. <laughs> Look at him putting a sign on his back. Well, that's incredibly funny. Classic. <laughs> Vintage <laughs> Ralph Macchio. <laughs> <laughs> so his pet peeves are coming to work before noon. Wow. How's that a pet peeve? I guess Jim Shooter did run a tighter ship. <laughs> he doesn't like traffic. I don't know who does. And he doesn't hmm. like baseball fans. Hmm. Hmm. So well, he, came, was, he was born in Queens, right? So he's probably a Mets fan, which as a Mets fan, you grow not to like baseball fans too much because they're always <laughs> making fun of you for being a Mets fan. <laughs> now, his greatest accomplishment was playing bumper tag with William Shatner on the Jersey Turnpike. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's anything like butt diving, but who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite as prestigious. Uh, it might be it might be similar, but not as prestigious. Now, his oddest habit, he likes to replace staples with paper clips. We all have our fetishes. Now, when you ask this guy, you know, why did he choose comics? Well, he had nothing better to do after grad school. How about that? That's inspiration. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's what you want as one of your, uh, your top brass in your company, I would say. Now, in other news, good old Ralph would also like us to know that he went to grad school. Ooh, mm-hmm. look at you, big boy. <laughs> High school people thought Ralph was quiet and dangerous. Uh huh. Dangerous. When when someone puts on your yearbook that you're dangerous, chances are that uh, you know you're going to end up on the evening news doing some horrible act of indecency somewhere. <laughs> and here we go. This is my favorite. Here we go. Here we go. Remember we talked about last time when you know people always put in like a book that they've read and it's always got to be something like high end or high art. Infinite jest, yes. (laughs) Infinite jest. Well, his last book that he read that he didn't read, by the way, was called (laughs) was called Papa was called uh, Papa John by John Phillips. It was an autobiography about the band the Mamas and the Papas. Look Mm -hmm. at you. Look at you. Wow. The last good book he didn't read. <laughs> yes, exactly. The last good movie he saw was The Untouchables. I'm not a um, I'm not a gangster movie guy, but The Untouchables was fine enough. They had a huge cast in that thing. His favorite mm. performers were boxer Sugar Ray Leonard. So I think mm. that's why uh, maybe in one of these books we actually have a Ray Leonard in here. Mm. He likes John McEnroe, which is, you know, the fiery tennis player back in the day. Sean Connery. Which was Zardoz, our personal favorite guy, who likes his his, his ball snugged up in his little red uh, mankini <laughs> thing. And Sigourney Weaver, who I always found un, unusually hot. <laughs> it's funny. I spelled her name wrong in the Google Doc, and it, oh, yeah. it auto-corrected for me. So Sigourney was in there. Yeah, I was very she pleased with she, that. She will not be misspelled Sigourney or anything like that. No, it will not be done. Anyway, who'd play him in a movie? Duh. <laughs> His okay. name is Ralph Macchio. Uh. <laughs> the Karate Kid. Do, 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 do. Uh, his influences: Stan Lee, because you have to put that there at this time. You have to. Uh, Ed Norton, Mr. Lovely Billy, boy. and Big Willie Shakespeare. A whole lot of Shakespearean dialogue and themes in that little House Two adaptation <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> sure. Hot garbage, right there. His unfulfilled ambition in in comics. Create a villain as good as Doctor Doom. Well, you failed on that one. 
What what villain did he create that was of any use? Do you remember any? Nobody. <laughs> Nada. So you <laughs> failed on that one. Uh, worst part of his gig is taking phone calls from jerks. <laughs> wonder if he's, if he's got any particular jerks in, in mind. I don't know. But anyway, when nobody's looking, Ralph works. Oh. Yeah. This these guys are, I don't know, they're sticks in the mud. What should we know about Ralph? Ralph's got high political ambitions. Ralph <laughs> Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio for 2020. There you go. Mm-hmm. He'll replace Trump. He's huge. <laughs> Macchio's got the he's got the style, he's got the charisma, he's he's got everything. He's he's, he's, he's gonna all. do it. <laughs> why don't you why don't you run us through the old uh, mighty marvel checklist mr Sheehan? The mighty marvel checklist our final well, our final bit before the end anyway uh strike force murder number 13 gets a blurb shot your face mm-hmm. unfortunately this wasn't in strike force murder number 13 but <laughs> hey they, they they shared the wealth here we get double special double-sized issue with a 30-page story background on the murder universe and more A.K.A. we didn't read it. <laughs> basically. Basically. <laughs> now, I only included this next one because I know you have a soft spot. Oh. Uh, the three Spider-Man titles are In the Mad Dog Ward. Oh, did I hate this era of Spider-Man. It's literally the only comic that I've ever manually destroyed with my bare hands. <laughs> I could not stand the cover art. I did not like the storyline. And then I get on Twitter and I see these assets. Oh my God, Spider-Man in the, in the Mad Ward, Mad Dog Ward is the best. And I'm thinking, you're an asshole. That's all I can think of. But just shut up. You, everybody knows that was garbage. The only reason that you got this book is because you bought it in a 25 cent bin because your dad was cheap. That's all. That's the only reason. <laughs> Move on from that crap. Oh boy. Uh, next one. We're only mentioning this for one particular reason. It's four, number 386. And it says, new creative team, a new direction, and Thor's dead already. (laughs) They weren't long killing him off after Shooter. No, no. and and this comes to us from our new editor in cheese himself, Tom (laughs) Nefalco. He did kickers! (laughs) He did kickers. Um, Captain America number 336, the return of dot, 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 Steve Rogers. So uh, (laughs) that didn't take long, did it? Shooter's out the door. Steve Rogers is back in right away. It's like, I think like two episodes ago, we talked about Steve Rogers giving up the shield. <laughs> He's back already. Uh, then these two I'm including for a particular reason. Daredevil number 249 with Wolverine. Oh, of course. Listen, Daredevil didn't Daredevil didn't sell a nickel on the uh, on the old spinner rack back in the day. Of course. So Hold they that put thought. Oh, Wolverine. There you go. Hold that thought. Alpha Flight number 53 <laughs> featuring Wolverine. Speaking of not selling a nickel on the, on the spinner rack, Alpha Flight, and I will say, and this this is uh, one of my favorite catch lines as a human being, is that in Canada, nobody gives a shit about Alpha Flight. How about that? Moving on. But looking through these uh, these last two solicits here, I wonder where that character coordinator is at when we need them, right? <laughs> we got Wolverine showing up in at least two books that aren't his home books at this point in a given in a given week or a month here. It's wild stuff here. Uh, now we've got not many ads. A lot of the ads were the same as the ones we uh, we've been covering uh, last month. Uh, we do have a Chips Ahoy ad, which is one of those like fold in ads, like the old yeah. Mad Magazine things. Those are pretty cool. I always love those. So, yeah, this, so one, this, yeah, this, one you, this one you fold in, 
And so it's basically the whole picture, if you could picture this, it's someone with a Chips Ahoy cookie in their hand, and it's got portion of their wrist, okay? So when you fold it in, his wrist cuff is actually a bit of a bitten cookie, so it looks like you took a bite of your cookie. Mm-hmm. And you have little, so, like, lines, like yeah, you know, sound so, lines from biting so, that cookie. So then after you ruin your comic, <laughs> you quickly realized, oh, it's just a cookie bite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now and, you're... Uh, now your moratory number 13, which was exactly 25 cents and a quarter bin, is not even worth that in real life because you folded a cookie, you idiot. <laughs> now, this actually comes with a riddle. It's uh, how many bites of a Chips Ahoy, cook- Chips Ahoy exclamation point chocolate chip cookie does it take before you bite a chip? Mm. I'm going to guess one, right? It, it, it doesn't give us an answer. <laughs> it gives us just the picture. but uh, The answer will appear. It will. It will. Um, we have a really cool Fall of the Mutants ad here. It's like, oh, it's really awesome. It's here, like a horizon shot with just a pile of dead mutants um, uh, just lined up going into the horizon line here. It's really, really cool stuff here. Uh, Question I remember, for you. Question yeah. for you. So out of this entire photo with all the uh, all the mutants that are dead, how many of those, fo- those uh, mutants that are in the photo actually died in this crossover? I don't think any of them did. You are correct, sir. <laughs> Steal my money and call me Andy. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw this ad, I was uh, when I was collecting the the ElfQuest uh, Marvel Epic comics, and God, this this ad brought me in every damn time. It's just yeah. it's just a really good love ad. It. Here. I do. It's really cool. I'd love to own the original art for this. It's awesome. Oh yeah, and it, I'm looking at it now. We've got Artie Maddox in there. <laughs> Little yeah, Artie. That's pretty cool. Hanging, uh, he's laying on like Psylocke's hip. So, uh, I see that go. up there. That's oh, brutal. <laughs> and then our final ad. We mentioned that we'd have a contest, a zittle contest, which is disgusting. Oh. <laughs> uh, now, uh, this is funny here. You can solve the oxy zittles, and oxy, in turn, might solve your transportation troubles here, transportation problems here. If you're able to answer these, you could find yourself in a Nissan 300ZX. They're giving away a car. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you, I uh, bet you, damn, that it would have like pimples on it, like plastic pimples on the car <laughs> you're driving down the road. It's the like... Oxymobile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Each of the wheels looks like a pad, you know. <laughs> oh, but uh, yes, uh, the the two questions that you must answer are: What would you call two pimples born on the same day? Oh, very important stuff here. And then the other one is, what do you call a pimple that keeps returning? Okay, what are, let's tell us. Solve the riddle. Don't keep our readers in suspense, Chris. Now, the thing of this is, I never I never actually read this ad before <laughs> until <laughs> this morning. And, I bet uh, you the first one is Twimples. It is. It is Twimples. <laughs> um, and I was trying Give to figure a- out what a pimple. What a pimple that keeps returning is. I never could figure that one out. And then I read the ad. And the ad says the missing Ziddle names are cleverly concealed in the paragraphs below. So like 30 years I've been looking at this ad. And I never realized <laughs> the answers were there. I'm a friggin' idiot. <laughs> so what was the but, answer to the, to the one that was returning? Okay, let me try to find it here. Let me try to find it. It is, okay. <sighs> Come back name. Uh, 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 yes it says here uh pimple enemy number one so before the acne you got 
uh, got rid of turns into come back me and pays you a return visit. Start using OxyClean. Wait, <laughs> OxyClean? That's a Billy Mays stuff. Oh, my God. What is happening here? The rip off. Oh, maybe Billy oh. Mays ripped this off. He might have. He might have, oh. yes. I bet he stole the car, too. He jacked the Oxymobile. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's what he did. That's what he did. Yes, yeah, so uh, now you know. You have the answers. So if you want to cut this coupon out, you can print it out or something, cut it out, and mail it to uh, to the to the Siddle Sweepstakes. <laughs> you know what? It's just, it's just as well at this point because you've already ruined your back cover by folding it in to get your stupid uh, Chips Cookie Ahoy. Chip. Oh, man. Oh, man. <clears throat> so, yes. No. You've solved the riddle of the Sphinx, the riddle of the Zinx. I don't know. Um, and we have covered this book from cover to cover. So all's good. Oh and uh, I, I do believe that's uh, that's all we've got this week. Well, that was a that was a boatload of uh, moratory madness right there for uh, for the folks who've been uh, who've been missing us, who've been waiting on the edge, just waiting for episode 13 to roll out. I hope you were super served here today, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, before we do jam out, uh, how about you plug yourself? <laughs> I've never been asked me to plug myself before, but I will, <laughs> even if it is on air. No, I'm yes. <laughs> anyway, you can find me over here on uh, on the Twitter machine at our at Charlton underscore hero. You can also find me in my ret- some of my retro ramblings, which uh, which is off and on, <laughs> depending on if we have Superblog team up over at uh, the Superhero Satellite over on WordPress.com. And uh, I might be even hanging out with Mr. Sheehan for a, a little surprise project, which we'll mm-hmm. reveal a little bit later on, maybe. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon, see? Very soon, very soon, yes. Uh, watch this space. There is a, there is something, you know, I, I can't promise it'll be big, but I can promise it'll be long, which... Oh, it will. Might be part of that uh, that Strike Force Moratory parody movie. Um, uh, this is a, a big project, uh, perhaps the most ambitious uh, pod project that I've ever started, and uh, I do look forward to delivering it very soon, sooner than later. Uh, even though just, I have drugged my feet. Just as a little teaser, it's going to be really cool, man. <laughs> hmm. Keeping it real in the field, man. But. Uh, <laughs> That's about all we've got. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Ace Comics. Um, also, uh, every day at Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. Also, Chris and Reggie.com, Chris and Reggie.Podbean.com on all the noise aggregation sites you can find. And uh, before we jam, just want to thank everyone so, so much for the warm reception last week and uh, for returning this week, uh, assuming you did. If you're listening, you did. So, thank you. Um, really means the world to us. And uh, we. Uh, we really uh, need it in order to keep motivated. So uh, <laughs> definitely, thank you so so much for hanging out with us, choosing to spend part of your day with us. Uh, Absolutely. Yes, and uh, we will uh, bid you adieu, uh, let you get on with your day, and uh, let you know we will talk to you again real real soon. See ya. <laughs>